This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bible, turn to John chapter 15, if you would, this morning. We're taking a break for one week uh, from our study of Philippians. We'll go back to Philippians uh, chapter number one next week. But we're going to be in uh, John 15 uh, today. We've entitled today's message, Reset. If you got the Hui Kala app and you go to the home screen of the Hui Kala app and click on the seven-year uh, anniversary button there, it'll take you to a page for today's message where you can click on the button to fill in your notes on the Hui Kala app. That way, you can download a PDF to your device uh, as well. Or if you just want to grab a sheet of paper and jot down some notes, I'd highly encourage you to do that here today. (laughs) John chapter 15, we find Jesus preparing his disciples for his departure. Jesus knows he's going to leave. He knows that his guys need some uh, final preparation before he goes. And so he uh, spends some time with him. John 14, 15, and 16 are phenomenal passages of Scripture. Talks about the Holy Spirit. Talks about fruit bearing. Talks about Jesus' relationship with the Holy Spirit, the Christian's relationship with the Holy Spirit. Man, so much good stuff. We're just going to grab about eight verses out of John chapter 15 this morning and talk about that and talk about fruit bearing today. John chapter 15 and uh, verse number one. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch of me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you, and the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned you abide in me and my words abide in you you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you herein is my father glorified that you bear much fruit so shall ye be my disciples remember as a kid i was probably five or six years old when i was at apple uh, apple is one of the only fruits to this day that i enjoy eating somebody asked me yesterday pastor what's your favorite vegetable and i said i love potatoes that are cut and deep fried that is my favorite vegetable in all the world. I don't know if French fries qualify as a vegetable, but that's mine. Uh, but I love apples. And so uh, as a kid, I was eating an apple, and I got to the middle, and my mom told me, hey, that's the seeds. And if you take those seeds and you plant them, you can actually grow an apple tree from that. And man, that intrigued my little five, six-year-old self. And I said, mom, can we grow an apple tree? And she said, sure. So we got a little styrofoam cup and took my seeds and put them in there. And we got another cup for my brother and filled it up with dirt and put seed in that. And began to set them on the, the windowsill so they get plenty of light. And then, man, no lie, like two weeks later, a little sprout came out, and I was so fired up. Oh, I was so excited. I said, Mom, can we plant it? She said, we can't plant it yet. So we waited a little while, and the sprout got a little bit bigger and got a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger, and then we finally came to the day where we took it out and we planted it in the yard. Me and my brother's trees right beside each other, little bitty sprigs that we had going on. Took a while, months or so, and got up to about the size of a good-sized stick. Winter came. It's just like, oh, no, it's not going to make it. It's going to fall over. It's going to off and so we got a stick and tied the little uh, sapling to the to the stick to make sure that it didn't blow over or fall over or snap or something like that 
Man, springtime came around and began to grow a little bit more. He got a couple of small leaves on it. I asked my mom, can we get apples yet? And she says, no, not yet. Took probably two or three years before we actually ever actually saw any fruit. And the first fruit that came off of it wasn't that great. Little bit teeny tiny guys. But it began to grow and began to grow and began to grow. And finally, after years, it brought forth like real deal apples. I was so pumped. Now, mind you, by this year, I'm probably 10 or so uh, at this point. Less excited about the idea. There's a lot more excited. I was like six about planting my own apple tree. But at 10, I'm like, hey, this is really cool. The last time I visited my uh, childhood home, which was probably, I don't know, seven, eight years or so ago, on Jackson School Road in Benton, Kentucky, there is still two apple trees side by side. And if you look at, at them, you might not be able to tell them apart, but the one with the best fruit is definitely mine. <laughs> the one with the crummier fruit, definitely my brother's, right? Here's a crazy thing. That was like 35 or so years ago. Planted an apple tree, and guess what? Today, it's still bringing forth fruit. When Jesus talks about the life of a Christian, he's interested in one thing and one thing only, and that is bearing fruit. Now, much ink has been spilled and many debates have been gone over about what this fruit bearing actually means. What does, what's the fruit? What is it supposed to be? And some people would say, oh, this is when you lead another person to Christ and sharing the gospel with somebody and seeing somebody, that's fruit in your life. That might be an application. It might be a good application to make, but I don't think that's the only type of fruit that it's talking about. If we look at the context, and again, when you study the Bible, context is key. What is said before this passage is said after this passage. And the, what Jesus talks about in John 14, 15, and 16, he talks about the Holy Spirit. And right sandwiched in the middle of all this, he's talking about bearing fruit. And Paul, when he writes to the churches at uh, Galatia, in Galatians 5, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That's spiritual fruit. So when we look at fruit bearing, we're not talking about anything tangible. Again, this is why it's really important that we do appropriate, here's a good Bible scholar word for you, exegesis of the passage. That means I'm going to dissect what the Bible says Look at the context, look at who it's written to, look at the words that are used, look at the places where those words are used elsewhere in the Bible, and then I'm gonna put together a big idea of what God's trying to say. That's exegesis of scripture. We always wanna look at Bible with an exegesis. The opposite of that is eisegesis. I want the Bible to say what I want it to say. That's always bad. So bad eisegesis of this passage will say, God wants to bring forth fruit in your life, and his fruit is success. It's money. It's a new car. It's advancement. It's that job you've always wanted. It's that house that you've always wanted to go to. It's that vacation that you've always wanted. And if you stay plugged to Jesus, Jesus is going to bring forth this fruit in your life. Be further from the truth. Bad interpretation of Scripture. Toss that out the window. That's not good. But Jesus is speaking of spiritual fruit here. And you and I can bring forth in our lives spiritual fruit, good things that God wants to do in our lives and through our lives to help us to be fruitful in our lives. Sometimes people, when they this idea of becoming a Christian, I share my faith with really thousands of people over my lifetime. And sometimes people will say something along the lines of this, well, pastor, I got a few things I gotta get straightened in my life before I come to Jesus. I got some sin that I need to clean up, and then I'll, once I take care of that, I'll become a Christian then. Understand this, we don't 
clean up our act and come to Jesus. We come to Jesus so he can clean our act up for us. We don't clean our lives and then come to Jesus. Jesus is the cleaner of our lives. You can't stop sinning because you don't have inside of you what you need to have victory over sin on your own. So it's important to understand that the Christian life is a come-as-you-are kind of Christian life. You come to Jesus with all your shortcomings, with all your sin, with your guilt, with all your shame, just as you are. And God accepts you just that way. But here's what some people miss about the Christian life as well. The Christian life is a come-as-you-are, but it's not a stay-as-you-are. I, I can't just come to Jesus all messed up and just stay all messed up because God wants you to bear fruit. And you can't do that in your current state. You can change. And today, today we'll be taking a look at how we bring forth fruit. So take a look at this passage. Some of this is gonna seem very elementary on the surface, but bear with me because it's really good. First of all, we see in this passage that Jesus is the true vine. <coughs> take a look at John chapter, one, John chapter 15, verse number one. I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. So if Jesus needs to tell us that he's the true vine, then we need to understand that there is a fake vine out there somewhere. There are false vines that we can try to plug into. If Jesus is the true source of life, Jesus is the true source of sustenance, he's the energy source that we plug into, then he warns us with a statement that there's some fake things that we can get plugged into as well. Some fake vines you can get plugged into, success, power, money, materialism, even good things can become idols in our life, education, the, what the world deems as success, social media is a lie. It's all set up to make you want more, to be more. But God says that's a lie, don't plug into that. What you need to be plugged into is you need to be plugged into Jesus. Jesus is the true vine. You see, when you plug into any of those fake vines, this because they don't have life in them to give, you suck them dry and then you move on to the next thing because there's no life there. You chase materialism, you're gonna realize that there's only so many cars that you can buy. There's only so many things that you can buy. There's only so many electronics that you can fill your house with. There's only so much stuff you can accumulate. There's only new cell phones that come out once a year that you can buy. There's only so much that you can tap into where that becomes a dead thing to you and you gotta move on to the next thing because that was never designed to give you life. People try to plug into relationships to bring life and then they suck that relationship dry and then they wanna move on to the next one because that one didn't work for them. You plugged into the wrong vine, friend. You plug into Jesus, you'll never be able to run why? Jesus says he's the bread of life. Anybody that eats from him will never be hungry again. He says that he is the water of life, that if we drink from that water, we'll never be thirsty again. Jesus says, I'm what you're looking for. Don't try to get plugged into anything else. You'll be disappointed by it. I'm the true vine, Jesus says. And God is the husbandman, verse, tells us, verse, two tells, verse one tells us. And that means that he is the gardener that's responsible for fruit bearing. So our father's the, the gardener responsible for bearing. That does for you and I, that kind of takes a little bit of load off of us because we're not responsible 
for the fruit production. We're just responsible for staying plugged into the power source. God is the one who's responsible for bearing the fruit. Now, if we look at our life and begin to examine our fruit, you might say, well, I'm not seeing the type of fruit that I want. I'm not seeing the things that I want in my life. Hey, just stay plugged into the power source and you'll be okay because your father is the one that's responsible for bearing the fruit. He'll take that burden from you. And then it says that, verse number five says, we are the branches. Now, sometimes people have used this passage and described Jesus as a tree and then off of that tree are the branches and you and I are the branches not what he's saying. He says he's the vine. When I was a kid in our backyard, we also had a, a grape vine, an old trellis. I don't know if you've ever seen a grape vine before, but there's usually uh, the, the, the part that sticks into the ground, the roots go up, and then it wraps around a trellis, and then the branches go out from there. You cut off the bottom part of the vine, the rest of the, the, the branches die. But the main source has a bunch of small branches that go off of that. Jesus is on the vine that you stay connected to. You're just the branches that shoot off from the side. And he says this, if you don't stay connected to the power source, you're dead. You're of no use. So we're the branches. And the purpose of a branch is to bear fruit. Unfortunately, many Christians think that their job is to fake it till they make it or to put on a show or to dress up the outside so that the outside looks good. God says, I'm not really concerned with the outward appearance. God says, frankly, the outward appearance can be nasty and repugnant as long as the fruit's good. So the job of you and I, if we are Christians, if you're a born-again child of God this morning, your job is to bear fruit. And if you're not bearing fruit, you're not doing your job. Now again, a lot of people debated, what is this fruit? I believe it is spiritual fruit, spiritual things that God does in our life. Our love for God, our love for our fellow man, our love for God's word, the joy that we have, our ability to live at peace with God and our ability to live at peace with others. This is the spiritual fruit that God wants to create in us. And Jesus divides up every single branch into one of two categories. Only two categories he creates here. Fruitful, and unfruitful. Now, the vine is going to have unfruitful branches. Now, again, it's important to understand good Christians can disagree on what the unfruitful branches are and what they are not. Some people would say that these unfruitful branches are Christians who just don't bring forth good fruit. They're Christians that may be carnal, they're Christians that are not walking with Jesus. And they don't bring forth good fruit or they don't bring forth fruit. And because of that, they're not of use to the master and they're kind of discarded or set to the side. That's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it, the way that I would interpret this passage of scripture, and again, if you disagree with me, we can still be friends and disagree to disagree on this. I believe this is talking about people who think they're Christians, who maybe profess the name of Christ, but aren't truly saved. These are people who claim to be in Christ, but there's no fruit in their life whatsoever, none. Now, again, understand, he's not talking about there's low quality fruit or there's not as much fruit as there should be. He's talking about branches with no fruit whatsoever, none. And he says, what happens with these? These get cut off from Jesus, cut off from Jesus, set to the side, and at the end of the day, they're gathered up and they're not discarded. What are they done? They're burned. I believe, again, 
If you disagree with me, uh, we can disagree to disagree. I believe this is speaking to the fact those who are not in Christ are cut off, are set to the side, and at the end are gathered and are put into the furnace to be burned because they're of no use to God. I believe it's a clear picture of unbelievers enduring God's wrath and punishment in a place called hell. I believe that. It's my interpretation of it. Because, here's what I do know. I know our sinners, for all our sin and come short of the glory of God, that there's none right, no, not one. I do know this, that the wages of sin is death. That because of our sin, we're automatically cut off from God. We're not automatically born into the family of God. We're not all automatically born into the vine. We're all born automatically cut off from the vine. And because of that, if we die in our sin with no fruit, no connection to the vine, the Bible says that we will endure God's wrath and punishment called hell for all of eternity. All those whose names were not found written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And so those unfruitful branches cut off, placed into the furnace. That's what we deserve. But here's what the Bible says. God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for sinners. God loves you so much, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for your sins so that you don't have to go to hell, so that you don't have to be separated from God, so that you can be adopted into the family of God, so that you can be connected to the vine, which is Jesus Christ, so that you can bear fruit. That's what God wants for you. But you've got to make that decision for yourself. Every person must make a decision to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 7, it says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God's raised him from the dead, and you confess that with your mouth, that you can be saved. Friend, do you know that you're saved today? You can't be in Christ. You can't be connected to the vine. And really, everything else that we're talking about this morning doesn't apply to you at all if you are not in Christ. That's the most important part. Has there been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again? If so, you're a child of God, you're connected to the vine, you should be bringing forth fruit. If there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, know this, you're not connected to the vine, you're dead. And there's coming a day where you're gonna be gathered up and burned for all of eternity. But if you'd be willing today to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I believe that he died for my sin, I'm willing to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The Bible says you can be saved today. So friend, if you're not saved, be saved today. It's not joining our church. It's not going to a class. It's not being baptized. You don't have to go through a catechism. You just have to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I'm putting my faith and trust in him as Savior, and I'm asking him to forgive me of my sins. And the Bible says you can be saved today, just like that. And you'll be connected to the vine that gives you not only life here, but eternal life as well. But the unfruitful branches, the Bible says, again, take a look at verse number two. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. This idea of cutting off is, it's fruitless, it's dead, it's no use to me whatsoever, and so I'm cutting it and setting it to the side. Just because you call yourself a Christian, just because you showed up to church on a Sunday morning does not make you a Christian. You're a, ch- a Christian if you are born again. There's been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior and you say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and I accept him as my Savior. That's what saves you. And friend, if you're not born again, you're just not saved. Jesus says in John chapter three, verse number three, no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he's born again. 
You need to know for sure that you're saved. Jesus goes on in verse number six, in verse number six in our passage. If a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch, is withered, men gather them, cast them into the fire, and they're burned. Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says in verse number 15, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves and you shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns and figs of thistles? If you were going to pick yourself an apple, would you go to a briar patch to get that? No, you wouldn't. You'd go to an apple tree that's bringing forth fruit. And so Jesus says a lot said by our fruit production, a lot said by the type of fruit that we bear. And so we're going to have, the vine's going to have unfruitful branches. There have been people who have come through who we call it that attended our church for a long time, that are saved, that were not saved. There's been people who have actually attended our church. Uh, one, one single lady in particular I'm thinking about, she came, attended our church. She made a profession of faith. I was there with her the day that she prayed and asked, asked Jesus Christ to forgive her of her sin and to save her. Later, she ended up being baptized. And then after a couple of months, never saw her again. I saw her about a year or so ago and asked her what happened, what was going on with her. And she said, I think I was just said that I wanted to follow Jesus because of what my friends were doing. But I don't really believe I believed. It wasn't real for me. I was just kind of going through the motions, hoping I would catch up with it eventually, and I never really caught up with it. And she said, I'm not a Christian, and I don't think I ever was. There you go. There you have an unfruitful branch that was part of the vine, but it wasn't bringing forth fruit because it wasn't real. It cut off. And you say, well, well, you know, what she saved before? According to her, she never truly believed, so she wasn't ever saved. So she didn't turn her back on her faith. She never had to begin with. And so, unfortunately, just because you show up to a good Bible-believing church doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. You have to be connected to the vine. You have to be a true born-again child of God. But here's the thing. If you're a born-again child of God, you should be a fruitful branch because the vine will have fruitful branches. And if you are a born-again child of God, this should be you. Fruit. Again, verse number two, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, and it may bring forth more fruit. So there's really only two categories. Fruit-bearing, not fruit-bearing. If you're not bearing fruit, it's because you're probably not a child of God. If you're bearing fruit, you have to be a child of God to do that because you've got to stay connected to Jesus. Now, good fruit should be visible in the life of every Christian. Every Christian should have visible good fruit. It shouldn't take long for people that are around you to realize really quickly where you stand with God. Somebody shouldn't have to dig through four to five years of your social media posts to find out whether or not you really believe in God or you call yourself a Christian. It should be pretty evident. People shouldn't have to hang around with you for weeks, months, or years to find out if you're a Christ follower. They should probably be able to figure that out pretty quickly. You know why? Because your fruit will show. Not because you got a hooey color sticker on your water bottle or because you got a honk if you love Jesus on the back of your car, but because of the fruit that comes out in your life. You know, when I was a kid and I had that apple tree, I'd go out there sometimes look really hard at little sprouts that were coming off of those branches. And I'd look, is that going to be an apple? Is that going to be fruit? But look, when the fruit came, there's no question, that's an apple. 
You don't have to get a magnifying glass out and look really hard to see whether or not it's fruit. It's there, it's visible, it's obvious. And if we as Christians are bearing fruit, it's gonna be obvious. You don't have to get a magnifying glass out to figure out whether or not there's fruit there or not. It's obvious. Keep your finger here, 15. We're gonna come back in a second, but turn over to Romans chapter six. Romans chapter six, such a rich passage of scripture. I always encourage people, if you're struggling with sin that just has your number and continues to go back to you again and again and you can't seem to shake it, memorize Romans six. It just shows you that you have victory over sin. And if you're hung, hung down by sin, it's because you choose to be hung down by it. If you're given over to your sin, it's because you choose to be given over to it. Do you have all the power that you need inside of you to overcome sin? So if you're struggling, and memorize Romans 6. Which verses? All of them. And when you're tempted, just begin to quote starting at verse number 1. We continue in sin that bound. God forbid, how shall they be there any longer there? And then it goes on to tell us that we're raised to walk in newness of life with Christ, and we shouldn't yield ourselves as members, our members as instruments to unrighteousness, but yield our members as instruments unto righteousness. But I want to take verse number uh, 20. For when ye were servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. You used to be a slave to sin, and you never served righteousness at all. Righteousness wasn't even in your vocabulary because you were a servant of sin. The word servant means a slave to. Verse number 21. What fruit had ye in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. You know, it's funny sometimes when people start following Jesus, they begin to look at, back at their life before they were following Jesus and go, man, I sure miss those good times in college. You know, wasn't held down by, you know, walking with Jesus and all this other stuff. I just be able to go out with my friends and party and have a good time. Man, that was the good life back then. Was it really the good life? Being a slave to sin was the good life? You, you've misunderstood. You forgot about all the shame, guilt, regret, disappointment heartbreak that came from sin oh my my girlfriend you know we we loved each other so much our, our relationship didn't honor the lord we were doing some things we shouldn't have done and she wasn't a christian but man those were the good times i really felt loved hold up for a second did you really or are you just looking back with that on experiencing the feelings that you wanted to feel did you forget what it's like to not do things god's and here's what verse number uh, 21 says what fruit, what good stuff did you have left over from those things that you did that you were so ashamed of? When you were walking with, Je weren't walking with Jesus, but you were living in sin and you were a slave to sin, what end result did you have that was really, really good that came from that? Nothing. You know why? Because the end of those things is death, destruction, chaos, misery, hurt, regret. There's no good stuff that comes out of that at all. I'm thankful that I was raised in a Christian home and I was taught from a young age to obey God, obey his word. And while the church I was a part of wasn't a strong Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, I learned good doctrine. I learned the importance of being in God's word. I made a lot of mistakes, but I look at the times where I wasn't walking with Jesus in my single adult life. And I'm ashamed of those things and there's no good fruit that came out of that. It's a lot of disappointment. But here's what verse number 22 says. But now, being made free from sin. This is why Romans 6 is so awesome. If you're a child of God, you are free from sin. 
You were held down, shackled in your sin. You were locked up in the prison of sin and you couldn't find the key. But Jesus came and he died and he paid for your sins. And the moment that you put your faith and trusted him as Lord and Savior, he says, free, out. Swing the gate open, come on out. You're no longer a slave to sin. And you might say, well, I feel like a slave to sin. Well, then you've been misled because you're free from sin. Verse 22 says it. Now that you're free from sin, you know what you're a slave to? You're now a servant says to righteousness. Now you get to follow Jesus. Now you get to do the good stuff. Now you get to be on God's side. Now you get to work in things that you can be proud of and live a life that honors and pleases God. Now, verse 22 says, ye have fruit unto holiness. And now not death, but everlasting life. Oh, now that you're following Jesus, now your life gets to bring forth good fruit. Again, God wants every single Christian to bear fruit. And today's a good day to step back and say, what's my production look like? Am I seeing the good stuff in my life? Am I seeing love and joy and peace and long-suffering in my life? Am I seeing a lot of strife, drama, chaos, sin? Mm -mm. What's my fruit look like? Because God wants every Christian to bring forth good fruit. Here's the thing, bearing fruit requires growth. First, I remember as a kid walking into the kitchen and seeing that styrofoam cup sitting on that windowsill and that little sprig, green sprig, shooting out of the top of my apple tree. Oh, I was so pumped up. This actually worked. This is going to be awesome. Now, again, mind you, I didn't understand it. At six years old, this is going to take years to see fruit. I just thought to myself, like, bro, like next weekend, I'm going to have apples, right? No, no apples. But you know what? I was excited to see growth. Had I gone back five years later and still been a little sprig sticking on the top, I would have been highly disappointed, highly disappointed. You know why? Because healthy things grow. That's just what they do. It's supposed to. If it's healthy, if it doesn't grow, something's wrong with it. And bearing fruit requires growth on your part. You can't stay the way that you were. You can't stay as slaves to your sin. You can't continue into living the old lifestyle that you used to live and expect to bring forth fruit. It just doesn't work that way. So how do we bring forth fruit? God really couldn't have been clearer in, in John chapter 15 here. Bearing fruit requires time with Jesus. <laughs> Turn back to John uh, 15. Take a look at verse number five. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Look at that last phrase. If you're in a habit of writing your Bible, I'd highly encourage you to, to underline this last phrase. For without me, ye can do nothing. Jesus doesn't say, without me, you can't do a whole lot. Jesus doesn't say, without me, your fruit production is going to be minimal. Jesus doesn't say, you're not going to be able to accomplish anything significant without me. He says, without me, you can do nothing. And so, friend, if you're trying to bear fruit and you're not spending time with Jesus, you're just wasting your time. If you're expecting good things to come from your life from a spiritual perspective and not 
connected to Jesus, you're really just wasting your time. And here's what Jesus says. Again, take a look at verse number five. He's the vine, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me. Abide. So when I say spend time with Jesus, I'm not talking about spending 20 minutes in the Bible before you get on with your day. That's helpful. Please read the Bible every single day without fail. But abiding with Jesus is more than spending 20 minutes in your Bible. Yesterday morning, we had a group of men that got together at eight o'clock and we spent some time in the Word and we spent some time in prayer. Um, at our men's leadership weekend, we divided up into four different groups and we're meeting every four weeks on Saturday morning at eight o'clock. If you're a guy in our church and you're not part of one of those groups, show up any Saturday morning at eight o'clock. We'll put you in a group with one of our guys. We'll meet every four weeks, keep each other accountable. We pray together. We study the Word together. And so last week was Alpha Group. This week's Bravo Group. Again, if you're not part of a group, show up this Saturday at eight o'clock. We got together. One of our guys brought donuts. That was always, donuts are always helpful. I think I pray better when I have a couple of donuts in me. Um, we got together. One of our guys shared something from the Word. We talked about it for a bit. We talked about how we as guys can be better men. We're holding each other accountable to those things we talked about. We spent some time in prayer. We hung out for five, ten minutes afterwards, and we went home. Nobody stayed, like, forever. It was just an hour. We visited for a minute, and we went on with our day. People sometimes visit with Jesus like that. Hey, I spent an hour or so, and I went on with my day. No, Jesus wants you to abide with him. Nobody showed up with, like, 28 boxes and rolled them in and says, I said, what are you doing? Oh, I came to stay. For how long? Forever. No, that's a problem. You know why? Because we don't abide together. I abide with my wife and kids. You abide in your place. We don't abide together. We visit for a minute. And sometimes people have that idea. Well, I'll go to church once a week. What else do I need to do? No, no, no. It's not about having an hour out of your week that you set aside to spend with Jesus or an hour a day to spend with Jesus. It's about living with him 24-7. And here's the thing. When you live with other people, you have to be cognizant of other people around you. My kids want to play video games and scream and yell at each other at 11 o'clock at night. I'm trying to sleep. Shut it off. Go to bed. You have to think about the people around you. Here's the thing. When you abide with Jesus, you got to think about what he thinks about it. you got to think about what, what he thinks about the TV show that I'm watching, what he thinks about these friends I'm spending time with, what he thinks about this party that I'm going to, what he thinks about this type of entertainment that I'm involved with, this group of people that I run with. What does Jesus think about this? Because I'm abiding with him. And I got to give deference to him because it's all about him. You know why? Because Jesus purchased me with his own blood. I belong to him. I don't belong to myself. I got to think about him. So bearing fruit requires time with Jesus because without him, we can do nothing. Secondly, bearing fruit requires the filling of the Holy Spirit. Talking to a friend this past week or a couple weeks ago, and he had a great question. He says, "Now, when talk, people talk filled with the Spirit, does that mean that like we only get part of the Spirit at a, at a given time? We need to get more of it?" He said, "You know, I've heard people pray before. You know, give me more of the Holy Spirit." Great. Question. The day that you got saved, you received the Holy Spirit. The day you were born again, you received the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, there's only one reason: it's because you're not saved. The Bible says in Romans, "If any man have not the Spirit of God, he's none of his." So if you got the Holy Spirit, it's because and the day you got saved, you got the Holy Spirit, and you got all the Holy Spirit. You didn't get part of it. God didn't hold any back from you later. You got all the Holy Spirit. Now, 
what part of your life you choose to allow the Holy Spirit to have access to, that is being controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's being filled with the Holy Spirit. So you can never for the Holy Spirit, but you can surrender more of yourself to the Holy Spirit. Angela and I first started walking with Jesus. There were some areas in my life where I was willing to give full access to the Holy Spirit. Hey, Sunday mornings, all God's. He can take it. I'll give him every single Sunday morning, 10 to noon. Whatever he wants to do, fine. The rest of the week, that's all mine. I gave him Sunday, the Lord's day. The rest of the days are Anthony's days. That was holding back on God. There were things that God wanted me to change. The movies that I watched. I, I, I love watching movies. I love to be entertained. I was I, what could probably be described as a movie buff back in the day where you actually had to buy DVDs, right? I had a ton of DVDs. But when God began to work on me, I said, hey, I'm willing to do that, but leave my movies alone. That's my thing. God says, no, I don't work that way. I want all of it. And when the Holy Spirit gets all of you, then you're controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's why in Ephesians chapter five, the Bible says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Just like a drunk man is controlled by alcohol, be ye filled with the Spirit. So just like a drunk guy is getting controlled by alcohol, I want you to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit controls the thoughts that I think, the words that I say, the actions that I perform, the things I'm involved with. Holy Spirit's in charge of all that. And so I'm gonna bring fruit as I'm connected to Jesus and I'm following the Holy Spirit. And again, read John 14, 15, and 16, and it tells you exactly what the Holy Spirit's going to do. He's going to point you back to all the things that Jesus said, and he's going to help you remember God's Word. The Holy Spirit always points you back to the Word of God, always. That's why bearing fruit requires obedience to the Word as well. Obedience to the Word. Notice what Jesus says. In verse number eight, here is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so she shall be my disciples. Verse nine, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. And here's what he says, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I've kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus says, just do what I told you to do. You're gonna find fruitfulness. Just obey my word. Notice it says in verse number um, three, you're clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. The word of God helps us to remain clean and pure so that we can bring forth good fruit. Think of this, of this way. The word of God is the pesticide and herbicide of your branch that you're a part of. It makes sure that it keeps all the garbage out of your life by obeying the word of God. That's gonna help bring forth good fruit. So you wanna bring forth fruit? It takes time. It was years before I got my first apple off my apple tree, years. And sometimes people come to Jesus and they think that Jesus cleans up everything in like seven days. It just doesn't work that way. Growth takes time. And when we talk about time with Jesus and faithfulness to Jesus, faithfulness to God is not measured in days and weeks. It's measured in years and decades. Look, anybody can do anything for 30 days. I remember... Two years ago, somebody recommended to do the Whole30 diet. Oh, my soul. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Oh, it's okay. You can have lots of fruits and vegetables. I don't eat lots of fruits and vegetables. That's not appealing to me at all. 
whatsoever. Can I have bacon? Oh, yeah, you can have bacon. Sign me up for that. But it can't have sugar in it. Okay, bacon doesn't have sugar, does it? Oh, yeah. Unless you buy, like, uncured bacon. It's like, this is not good at all. I didn't know bacon could be bad. Bacon can be bad. Who knew, right? But 30 days, suck it off. I can do anything for 30 days, and I did. It was awesome. Day 31, I was done with it for the rest of my life. Never again. Well, you can do a whole 60 or a whole 90. How about I do a whole never again, right? Sign me up for that. Look, you can, you can knuckle up and do anything you want. People do 14-day juice cleanses. Good grief. You can do anything you want for a short period of time. Jesus doesn't want a quick flash in the pan. He wants you to be faithful to him until you die. He doesn't want you to walk with him for the next couple of weeks. He wants you to walk with him for the rest of your life. Because that's where the fruit bearing comes in. It's going to take a while to see the type of fruit that you want. But it's worth it. Now, maximum fruit bearing, it requires pruning. Verse number two, there's types of branches. There's the unfruitful branch. Cut, get rid of, burn it. But take a look at verse number two. If you, if you just give us a cursory reading, this could actually be really discouraging for you. And every branch that beareth fruit, you're doing the good thing, you're doing the good work. What does he do? He purges it. A word purge means to, to cut off or to cut away. It can bring forth more fruit. God says, oh, you're doing a great job. Good fruit. Let me cut it and make it more. And on the surface, this does not feel good at all. And here's the thing. No fruit-bearing branch that is exempt None of it. God's going to cut some things out of your life so that you can bring forth more fruit. Have you ever seen a, a grape vine before? There's parts of it that have a lot of fruit hanging off of them. And there's other parts that just have a lot of leaves and look really pretty. God's not concerned with the parts that look really pretty. And there might be some really pretty parts of your vine that you have that you might be really, really proud of, but it's not bringing forth fruit. You know what God's going to end up doing? He's going to cut that so we can bring forth more fruit. Because, you know, to keep all that other stuff really pretty requires a lot of maintenance, requires a lot of resources, requires the vine to take away resources to keep everything pretty over here. God says, I don't want pretty, I want fruit. And he's going to cut that part so that we can get more fruit out of it. This looks really harsh. Why would God do this for me? Because God's trying to bring forth the good stuff in your life. God wants to bring forth a lot of fruit. Again, if you take a look at verse number two, Every branch of me that beareth not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges. So it can bring forth more fruit. So we went from fruit to more fruit. But if you go down to verse number five, I'm the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth what kind of fruit? Much fruit. So we went from fruit to more fruit to much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Take a look at verse eight. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Shall you be my disciples? Notice it does not say, herein is my Father glorified that you bring forth fruit. Hey, it's a good thing that you got fruit going. No, God says, I want much fruit. I'm not looking for a handful. I'm looking for a bumper crop and bushels full. I want fruit. So you look at this, you go, hmm. You know, if he didn't know any better, I think that all God's concerned about is how much fruit he gets. Yeah, exactly. You got it. What about how pretty it is? God doesn't care. What about how comfortable we are? God doesn't care. God wants fruit. Hmm. 
why would God do that to us? You misunderstood who God is. God knows that if you are in the fruit-bearing process, that you will find everything that your heart and soul craves in Jesus Christ is fully satisfied in him. Fully satisfied. That the things that this world has that are fake things, you're going to realize some of that stuff has to go. If you're chasing materialism, go before you can bring forth much fruit. If you're chasing status, that's got to go before you bring forth much fruit. If your goal in life is just to see how rich you can get, that's got to go before you can bring forth much fruit. And once you get into the idea that this bearing fruit is the best part for you, that's where you'll find that you can be satisfied fully in Jesus Christ. You don't need all the extra stuff. Jesus is enough. God's not content with minimal fruit. I don't know what your bearing looks like, but God's not content with just a little bit. I'll ask you this question. If you were to give yourself a score on your relationship in abiding with Christ and the spiritual fruit that you see in your life on a scale of one to 10, overflowing dump truck full of fruit, fruit running out, what to do with it? To one being very little sign of life whatsoever. How would you score your walk with God and your fruit bearing right now? If you were just give yourself a score. I ask that question or a variation of that question to a lot of people a lot of different ways. And sometimes people sit across the table with a grin on their face and go, I'm like a five. I'm doing really good. Hmm. Okay. So you'd say you're not really hot, but you're not really cold. Yeah, just kind of in the middle there, right down the middle. Hmm. The Bible has a word for that, Right? Not hot, not cold. What's the Bible word? Lukewarm. <laughs> and it's not favorable what Jesus says. Jesus says, I really wish you were hot. I really wish you were cold. At least then I know what I'm getting. But you're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, here's what he says. I'll spew you out of my mouth. That word spew is only used one time in all of the New Testament. It means this. I'm so sick, I'm going to vomit. So are you really proud of being a five because if you are, you're disgusting and it makes Jesus want to puke. Like he'd be, he'd be tickled to death if you were one, at least he knows what he's getting. And to someone who would dabble in the things of the world and then dabble with Jesus a little bit, be a part-time carnal Christian and part-time spiritual Christian, a little bit of fruit over here, but a bunch of rotten garbage on the other side, Jesus says, no, no, no. The Father says, no, 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 no. I don't want a little bit of fruit. I want a whole lot of really, really good fruit. And here's the great part. God says, I'm willing to be the gardener. I'm willing to own the responsibility for the fruit bearing. All I need you to do is stay plugged into Jesus, walk in the spirit and obey the word. If you do that, I'll take care of all the fruit. You just gotta do your part. The gardener's gonna do his. So God's gonna cut where he needs to cut to bring forth maximum fruit because God wants to prepare us for maximum fruit bearing. That's the thing. God wants to do things in your life right now that you cannot fathom. 
He wants to do things in your life right now to give him maximum glory, to give you things that you never thought possible. He wants to fill your home, your workplace, your community, your street, your apartment building with love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith, meekness and temperance. And he wants it to overflow. And you're just like, nah, I think I'm good with like that whole Sunday morning thing. I mean, services are a little bit longer for my liking, but I'm willing to do it. It's only once a week, not that big of a deal. God's just like, no, 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 no. Don't be content with that. God knows that the good must sometimes be sacrificed. It's been said before, the enemy of the best is good enough. I'm not a construction guy at all. But uh, I've watched a lot of YouTube videos and I've put up a lot of drywall in my day. Not a construction guy. In every project that I've ever done construction-wise, there's been a point where I stepped back and I said, that's going to have to be good. I've never, ever, in any construction project I've done, step back and go, man, that's awesome. Look at that. That's the way it's supposed to be done. Yeah. <laughs> that's good enough. We... Um, uh, had some guys come in yesterday. We had the, our connect groups now are taking over the cleaning of the church on Sundays It was or Saturdays. It was awesome. We had the uh, Greater Vision group come in and clean the church yesterday. We had some guys hang some brand new TVs on the side. You probably didn't even notice we got brand new TVs on the side. Went to hang one of the TVs and the bracket was too high on the new TVs and so we had to like move the bracket down and so I got to drill out and my masonry bits and drilled into the wall and stuff like that. And where my hole was supposed to be didn't line up right. Ended up having to draw a couple different holes. But here's the thing. I knew at the end of it, the TV's going to cover it. You're not going to be able to see it. And that's good enough. You don't know how many holes are in that wall? No. You don't need to know. It's fine. It's good enough. But when it comes to fruit bearing, so many times, like, it's good enough. I don't want to get too out there, you know? I don't be like too crazy with my faith, you know? I still want to be able to do my own thing. God's like, no, 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 no. You're missing the point. I'm looking for maximum fruit bearing, and I'm going to get it. Here's what God says. I'm going to get it if I have to prune myself because there's some things in your life that are dead that need to be cut off and go. There's some disease on your vine, on your branch of the vine that's going to get the rest of it sick if we don't cut it off and get rid of it. And so I'm going to take that into my own hands, God says, and I'm going to start the pruning process. And again, this might not even be anything that's necessarily sinful or bad. It's just something that's keeping you from bringing forth good fruit. Maybe you didn't get promoted for that job. Maybe you didn't get that position that you wanted because God knows it's going to take away from your ability to bear fruit. Hey, maybe you lost your job because God's got something better for you down the road because it's going to give you opportunity to bring forth more fruit. You see, you're just concerned right now with your temporary comfort and you're not looking at your long-term fruit bearing. Look, hey, God's the gardener. I'm just going to stay plugged into the vine and let the fruit bearing process take care of itself. Here's the idea. No branch goes untouched. None. Every single branch on the vine has one of two things happen to it. The unfruitful branches are cut off or the fruitful branches are pruned. Nobody gets skipped. <laughs> you can say right now, I believe 
that our church, who we call a Baptist church, is currently going through a pruning process. Our Sunday morning attendance from March to where we are right now, down by 25%. Here's the thing. At the end of the day, numbers aren't everything, but numbers are something. We count what matters, and people matter to God, so we count people. People who attended church for the last time in March and never came back again. That bothers me. There are people who moved away from March till now. That bothers me. There are probably 50 people who no longer attend church here that attended church here in March. Some job transfers, moves to the mainland. Some people got sick. Some people are still waiting it out at home. But 50 or so people that left and aren't coming back. And you know of those 50 people that left, how many I wanted to leave? None. Every single one of them bothered me. Every single one. But I believe that God's doing something. Again, if we look at, you know, just things like that, we have a three-year low in our attendance. Our attendance hasn't been at the level that it is right now on Sunday mornings since we moved into this building. This has been in three years. We could look at that and say that's part of the pruning process. Our baptisms this year are the lowest that they've been in over three years. You say that's part of the pruning process. It's uncomfortable. I don't like it. We went from having a Sunday morning Sunday night service. We had a Tuesday night small group that met at somebody's house. We had Wednesday night small groups that met here on a program uh, that met here on Wednesday night. We had a Friday night singles Bible study that met here in the lobby on Friday nights. We had a Saturday morning outreach that took place every single Saturday morning when we went to our community, knocked on people's doors, told people about Jesus. All of that's gone except for a Sunday morning service. And I look at that and go, hmm, that could be part of the pruning process that God's doing here right now. But here's what I do see. We started having services again in May. And since we started having services in May, every single Sunday without fail, we've had first-time guests here. Since then, we've had people come to our church because the church that they were attending is no longer having services. Actually, that's a, a benefit. You know that there are churches who stopped having services still haven't started yet? I'm not talking about just online service. I'm talking about not meeting at all. Like put a sign on the front door that's closed. And they haven't met since March. And have no intention. I look at that and I said, praise God, I believe God's doing something special in our church. Did you know that we have more people engaged in a small group right now than we ever have in the history of our church? We started this whole like online Zoom Bible study. I thought this is the craziest thing in the world. Let me just sit in front of a computer screen and study the Bible. How awkward is that? You can't even see people. It's so weird. We have more people connected to a small group right now than we ever have in the history of our church. And my wife said to me the other night, it's actually kind of cool because if like somebody needs to like get up and help their kid, they just like get up and help their kid. Like it doesn't bother, interrupt anybody. They're on mute. It doesn't matter. Somebody can only come in for 15 minutes and they have to leave. That's fine. You know, nobody gets stuck in traffic. Nobody has to find a place to park. It works. You know, we have a dozen people who have completed discipleship 100% online. They've never actually met in person with their discipler. We have people today that are going to get discipleship certificates that have never actually met with their discipler. I look at that. This is a win. That God wants to do something in this church, and we can't stop it. And God's going to take us through a process that is sometimes uncomfortable, sometimes against what we want to do. Sometimes God's going to cut off some good things so that we can get the best things. And that okay, because God's bringing forth fruit. And look, at the end, pruning is an opportunity to reset. 
I look at this at our seven-year anniversary as a church. Man, I'm telling you this, in January this year, I had planned big things for our seven-year anniversary. This time last year, our six-year anniversary, this place was packed. There wasn't an empty seat here. There were people standing up in the back. 300 and something, 380 people, I think, last October in this room, one service. It was packed. Plans for this year. But God says, no, I got something different. God said, I have a socially distanced seven-year celebration for you. That doesn't sound like fun at all. That's not fun. But you know what? God says, it's okay. I'm doing something. It's okay. This is an opportunity for a reset. This is an opportunity for us to step back and say, hey, what's really important? And you know what? Through this, we found this really important. The weekly gathering of the church to worship God. That's really important. We've done that. Maintaining community. We've used every technological resource possible to continue to make that happen. That's still working. The discipleship of Christians still taking place. We're still gonna do that. The welcoming in of new people to our church family. We're still doing that. Well, what about a WANA program for kids on Wednesday night? That would be nice, but we just can't do that right now. At 5.55 on Wednesdays, we'll have an online group where they get to show pictures, show their their dog to everybody or something. I don't know. That'll just have to work for right now. I'd love for us to be able to get, a, get together and have a cup of coffee and sit around in a circle and talk and laugh and stuff. We can't do that. We'll just get together online. We'll make that work. We still have community online. And you know what the coolest thing in the world is? There's people who see people here on Sundays and they're like, hey, you're in my small group. I've never actually met you before. Hey, what's up? Pleasure to kind of see you in person. Hey, you're taller than I thought you would be, you know? It's neat because God's doing something special in this church during the time of pruning. It's an opportunity for us to kind of hit the reset button. I remember when we first started Huikala seven years ago this week. Just a handful of people stayed. I remember our, very, our family's personal checking and savings account had $50 to our name. We, have, we don't do credit cards, so we didn't have any credit card debt or anything like that. We had no money to our name at all. Maxed out our savings to get here to open up the doors of this church. Our church had about $150 in our church checking account, no money in savings whatsoever. I mean, fumes, that was it. All to get to October 13th, 2013. We opened the door. We had a service. We passed the offering basket afterwards. Larry Gregor went to the back. He brought me a three-by-five card. I remember to this day, he says, Pastor, here was the offering for today. I took it, 1200 and something dollars on there. I looked at him and I said, praise God, man, we're gonna make it another week. Because we didn't get an offering that day, we weren't making it another week. And we didn't have enough to make it another month, we had enough to make it another week. Another seven days, we're gonna do it again next Sunday. And next Sunday came. We had 86 our first Sunday, next Sunday we had like 60. Goes back to that three by five car, I was like, yes, $700. Well, it's not 1200, but praise God, man, we're gonna make it another week. We got enough to make it till next Sunday. And we did. Next Sunday came. I had probably 35 people that next week. <laughs> he brings me the offering count, $400. Well, barely enough to make it another week. It, it, no lie. First 90 days, it was just week by week. We are just hoping we got enough to make it till next Sunday. We didn't have a long-term plan. We didn't know how we were going to pay our rent. We are just hoping to just make it week by week. And I remember those early, those, probably the first 90 days or so, after the service would go over, I'd go to the usher count sheet 
look to see how many people we had in church, how many first-time guests we had, and I would make a determination whether or not it was good or bad based on those numbers that I saw. Oh, man, if numbers are up, we're doing great. If our numbers are down, we're doing terrible. We're never going to make it. Because statistics say that new churches fail within the first two years. And so I'm looking to go, we're just not going to make it. Or if we had a good day, we're going to make it. Bad day, we're not going to make it. But here's the problem that I forgot. Fruit bearing takes time. It's not going to take a couple of weeks to get this thing off the ground. It's going to take a couple of years and a couple of decades. And look, we're seven years in. Praise God for seven years of fruitfulness. We're just really a baby church. We're just getting started. But I praise God that there's never been a time where we've been late on our rent. We've never been late on a bill. We have zero dollars in debt. We have six months of savings in the bank. God's been faithful to us. He's been good. And let me tell you this. Here's how awesome God is. And a 25% drop in attendance, what do you think that did to our giving? Do you think it dropped by 25%? No, it stayed 100% even. That's what it says. God says, I got this. Pruning's difficult, it's painful, but I've got this. Okay. And God continues to bring forth fruit. Turn your over to the book of Exodus, chapter 23. We're going to take a look at one passage of Scripture and we're done here today. <laughs> Exodus 23. God's talking to Moses, the children of Israel currently out in the wilderness, not yet gone into the promised land. God's given them some guidelines. He's given Moses the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 18. He's kind of telling Moses how things are going to go. He hasn't yet gotten to the book of Leviticus where he says the whole law, but he gives him some principles and guidelines to live by. Exodus chapter 23, verse number 10. He's talking about the fields where they sow a harvest, and six years shalt thou sow the land, and shall gather in the fruits. But the seventh year thou shalt let it rest and lie still, that the poor of thy people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field shall eat, and like manner thou shalt deal with the vineyard and with thy olive yard. Here's what God says. You're, you plant, you're gonna plant them for six years, and the seventh year will be a rest year, or Sabbath year, where we get our word sabbatical from, and he says, don't plant anything in that field. Let the field rest for a minute. And he says, if any fruit grows, it's okay. Let the, the beasts of the field, let poor people come by and grab it. But don't purposely try to plant anything there because I want you to give the field a rest. Because in year eight, we're going to crank it up again and we're going to start producing fruit there again for the next six years. And you know what's interesting is I look at our seven-year anniversary as a church. Seven years of faithfulness. The seventh year, I God backed off the throttle a little bit on us and says, hang tight for just a second. I'm getting ready to do something. Not right now. We're going to back it off a little bit. Give everybody a chance to rest. You've been going three services a week, six services a week. We count on all of our Bible studies and small groups that we have. Seven different times that we get together on a weekly basis. You've been doing that for the last six years. Let me pull back the throttle for this seventh year because you know what's going to happen? On the eighth year, it's going to hammer down again, and we're going to crank it back up, and we're going to see greater fruit production through this time. I really believe that. Again, I'm not a big numerology guy. I know people that are like, oh, seven means this, and six means that, and 13 means this, and 12 means that. I get it. Numbers mean something to God. He wrote a book called Numbers. I get it. I'm just checking to see if you're still with me this morning. 75% of you are. Uh, Look. I'm not saying that, you know, the seventh year, there, this, all this happened because it was our, our seventh year. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's 
unique. Again, I don't say coincidental. I think it's unique. We're in our seventh year, and God kind of backed things off a little bit because he's getting ready to crank things back up. We've still seen a lot of fruit this last year. I don't want to discount anything that God's done. God's still doing great stuff. But I'm saying that God's given us an opportunity to step back, inspect our own fruit, and see what we need to do to move from. So I want you to stop and take a look at your own fruit bearing for a minute. A couple of questions I want to ask you before we're done here today. First of all, do you know for sure that you're saved? Maybe you're not bearing fruit because you're not saved. Maybe you've never been connected to the vine. Maybe you just called yourself a Christian. Maybe you've just shown up to church and done what everybody else does and you just, I don't have any fruit because I'm not really connected to the vine. Please know this, you need to be saved today. Otherwise, you're gonna get cut off the vine and you're gonna be burned. Are you 100% sure that you're saved? Now, anything that's hindering your fruit-bearing process? Is there any sin in your life, something that needs to be made right with God that you need to take care of that's keeping you back from bearing fruit? You're going to see a lot of healthy fruit on your branch if you've got disease, decay, pests. It's going to hinder your fruit growing process. I want to help you with this. You can cut that off or God can cut it off for you because he's going to prune it, guaranteed. And so maybe you and I need to do a little bit of weeding before God ever gets to the pruning process to kind of cut some stuff off. Next, are you willing to sacrifice the good to allow God to do his best? Are you willing to allow God to take some things in your life that may have been helpful or maybe that you liked? Are you willing to let that go to be able to bring forth the best in fruit bearing? When we were living in uh, Southern California, we were uh, serving on staff at Lancaster Baptist Church. I really thought we'd live and die there. I, I tried to talk our pastor into the time that he, he had 85 acres, I think, at that time. I tried to talk him into putting a cemetery there. He didn't like the idea. I thought it would be awesome. You know, churches in the South, they always have cemeteries, right? Man, we need a cemetery at Lancaster Baptist. I want to be buried here, like legit. We bought a house there. We never bought a house in the, in the history of our marriage because buying a house is a commitment. We thought, no, we're putting our roots down here. We bought a house. Dream house for us, like 3,500 square foot, three-car garage, big yard. Basketball goal in the back for our kids. We bought a dog. I mean, we're done. Like This, this is home for us. And God began to do work in us about coming back to Honolulu and planting a church here in the city. And I began to talk over my wife, and she said, how sure are you? I said, 100%. She said, done. That was it. We didn't have a conversation about what we're going to do or what we do with our house, what we do with the kids, what we're going to do with schooling. It's like, we're, we're done. We're gone. And what we really good. My kids were in a Christian school, had a five-minute commute to work, solid church, people were being saved. We had the opportunity to teach a singles, uh, single adult Sunday school class. Man, life was good, but it wasn't the best. We had fruit there. Don't get me wrong. There's people that, that Angela and I led to Christ, and people that Angela and I discipled that are still faithfully attending that church. We have fruit there. But God says, I don't want a little bit of fruit. I want a lot of fruit. I'm not content with minimal fruit bearing while you maintain your comfort level. I'm talking about getting you to a place where there's pruning that's going to take place so we can get maximum fruit. And I'm telling you this right here. Again, this is not a, a boast of mine. This is glory to God. I don't know of another place in my life that I could be right now that I could bring more fruit than I am right now because I wanted to put myself in a place of maximum fruit bearing. And anything good that's ever happened from this church is because God has done it. I've just been in the right place 
at the right time, connected to the right vine, period. But are you willing to be able to sacrifice what's good for the best? We ended up giving our dog away. We ended up selling our house. We sold our house for what we owed on it. And man, I was so thankful for that. Man, we just walked away from that free and clear. We want to have a house in California that we had a plan B in our back pocket if things didn't work out. Now, we, we, we burned a ship when we got here. We, we ain't no going back. We're done. We sold our house for what we owed on it. The person we sold it to ended up selling it later for a $200,000 profit. Look at that and you go, are you bitter about that? Not at all. You know why? Because I got the fruit from it. Any money, anybody can do anything to get money. I got fruit from it. We sacrificed what was good for what was best. Are you willing to sacrifice the good for the best to get maximum fruit out of your life? Final question. What can you do right to ensure long-term fruitfulness? What can you do right now to set yourself up for lifetime fruitfulness? Today we celebrate seven years of God's So we're not looking back in the rearview mirror at what God has done. We don't have any videos we're gonna show you of the last seven years of all the photos of all the events we've had. We got none of that today. You know why? Because it's not about what God has done. It's about what God is going to do. We're not looking back at the last seven years with nostalgia. We're looking forward to the next seven decades with great faith. And you say, well, pastor, do you really think you're gonna be here seven decades from now? I'll be in my hundreds if I am, so probably not. But you know what? Seven decades from now, I hope there's a man of God that would stand in this pulpit with the gospel message proclaiming it for this city because the word of God, the church of Jesus Christ will outlive every single one of us and I wanna invest my life in that, not house or some car or some career. No, plant yourself in your career. You put in your two weeks notice, they're gonna have another knucklehead sit in the chair two weeks from now. Every single one of us is expendable when it comes to that. Plant your life in something that matters. When I'm dead and gone, my kids will take them about three months to spend all of their inheritance because I got nothing to give them, right? But you know what? I've given them a legacy of faith that I want them to take the rest of their life. I want to change the rest of my family tree and the fruit that comes from my family tree by the decisions that I make this week. That's what I'm talking about. Are you preparing for that? I want you to. Because it's too late when you wake up one day and you're in your 70s to think, hey, I think now would be a good time to plant a tree. No, terrible time to plant a tree. Six-year-old boy, I want some apples. Bro, if you ain't planted a tree yet and you want apples, you need to go to the grocery store. But if you're willing to make an investment now and nurture it, you'll have more apples than you know what to do with. If you go to Benton, Kentucky, last time I was there, seven years ago, still two trees there, still bringing forth fruit. There were times in the summer that there were so many apples on there that we'd have to give them away. Otherwise, they'd just fall on the, more than one person could eat. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about fruit bearing. Fruit that overflows, touches everybody around you. Fruit that makes a difference.
But the most important thing in the world, you can't bear fruit if you're not saved, if you're not a child of God and the vine. None of this matters to you. Be saved today. Put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior today. You don't know for sure that you're saved, but if you are saved, what's your fruit look like? And what can you do this week to bring forth more of it? Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.